0: so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to God's word. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, and he is self-condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, I want to also just... uh, Praise God for our VBS this week. It was amazing. And as stated before, VBS is not a um, children's ministry event. It is a church-wide event that benefits our children. And so I saw that this week. Um, Lots of you were involved at different points along the way, beforehand and after. And um, I just, you know, praise God that we cared for and had the youngest among us Able to participate, not just be served, but participate in worshiping the Lord in an intense fashion. You know, we used to have revival service for a whole week. This, is like, the kids' revival service, y'all, and um, they they had a good time. I mean, yeah. When I came, and that was the way it was supposed to be. So um, praise God for that. Mm-hmm. I want to also um, praise God. Um, that our deacon, Terrence Crawford, is back in our midst. Stand up, Terrence. Um, For those who don't know, um, Terrence is battling cancer, and I am praising God for the miracle. He is in remission. Part of his treatment is they basically took almost all your cells out, and then they re-put your own cells that were washed and good back in, and you were like a newborn baby, right? As far as disease and um, sickness and all kinds of things, and so he had to stay away, wear that mask. You know, he came over a couple times. I was like, let's go to this place to eat. Nope, can't go there, um, and because um, he couldn't be around people who weren't who were coughing at all too many. So, um, we praise God that he's restored you and that you, he was, man, he wanted to be with us y'all. Okay. That dude loves coming to church and worshiping and he loves working. So he wanted to go to work real bad. You can go back to work now. I think, right? Is that what the doctor said? Okay. Go to work for all of us. <laughs> So, uh, just real quick before I get into this, um, uh, this week we go to General Assembly. General Assembly is the gathering of our whole denomination, and we do denominational business. And so, Amari Hill, Pastor Amari Hill, and I will be going to Dallas um, this week for that event. Pray for that. It can be, it's awesome. You get to see your friends and family, but when there's only, when there's less than 50 African American pastors among like 3,000, 3, 000, 3 000 to 4,000, you start to think, w- w- what I'm doing here? So um, what am I doing here? You know, um, so just pray for that. We have a gathering of African-American ministry leaders, and I'm looking forward to that as well um, this week. And of course, finally, I'm doing my announcements now, y'all, because I'd be forgetting at the end. Um, and finally, please, if possible, come to the installation service of your new pastor, Assistant Pastor uh, Josh Kim today um, at, at four o'clock. Um, I am so looking forward to it. Um, I, I have a part in it too, so come and see me too. Um, and Josh, <laughs> it's all self-serving, you know. Well, we're self-serving to eventually pour our whole lives out for these folks, so please come. Just honor us for this little period of time. I promise it won't be as long as church. Mark Upton is preaching, not me, so it'll be shorter. And um, so we're looking for a good time today at 4 o'clock. If you can come back, um, we don't do this a lot. We don't have evening service here. You know, when I go preach, we don't have the van with my face on the side of it loading up the the choir and everybody. We don't do that. So at least come to this, y'all at four o'clock, and we'll have worship and everything. Uh, Charles McKnight and Drew Martin, who are pastors over at West Charlotte Church, our church plant, they'll be here. So we're looking for good family time. I also got an opportunity, I went, took uh, my son to Wake Forest to the football camp there, and it's just like a day camp. Um, and that evening, I also got to hang out with Giorgio and Amanda Hyatt, for those who remember. Um, the co-planter of this church, um, Pastor George High, and they are doing well. It was a good time with them, and they wanted me to say hello to those who know who they are. Um, hello. So, um, just wanted to do that. All right. That's enough announcements for me. That is not, that is not counting the time of the sermon. <laughs> Start your clocks now. So, anyway. So, we finish up our sermon series in Titus, and um, this is my last Sunday preaching um, till about uh, mid-August. So, I'm out for a while. Um, but Pastor Amari and Pastor Josh have a sermon series on community that I think after I preach this morning, we'll need, right? Like you'll need these sermons. You'll need some of the summer camp things they're doing after I preach this sermon. It feeds right into that. So please come in July and, and August and, um, to hear these messages on community But as we finish uh, up Titus, I'm going on vacation, y'all. Just break is what's going on. And we finish a sermon series in Titus um, today with what, for a diverse congregation, is probably going to be the hardest sermon in this series. i want to let you know ahead of time. I'm going to go ahead and sandbag this thing. You may feel defensive. All right? Okay, go ahead. Get ready. You may think that I'm picking on you or a certain group. That happens a lot. And I'll be thinking, this sermon's about me. Pastor Brown, how did you know? Well, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit knows. Sorry, right? Um, you may think I'm spick- picking on a certain group, and yes, I will bring up, you know, easy to deal with topics like abortion, sexuality, and politics. Just easy stuff, right? <laughs> and some of the things that get us riled up because it's so important in the application of this passage, but my hope is that what may be the most challenging sermon in this series will and could be the most enriching and encouraging for us as God calls us to be in this, in this book, finally, towards the end, in the end chapter, to be missional with our faith, right? To break out of ourselves, to, to, to be outwardly facing, to break from selfishness and personal passions, Right? Worldly passions, as they put here. And, and and embrace the spiritual health of the community and world outside of ourselves. To provide public spiritual health, is I want to describe it, because we've been kind of having this healthcare kind of health, spiritual health theme going. And two points this time I want us to focus on today, because that's all I could come up with. I tried to come up with a third point, I couldn't. Titus calls us to be mission on our faith first by being benefactors of the gospel in the public arena. Benefactors of the gospel in the public arena. And secondly, benefactors of the gospel for the public good. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. It says, but as for you, I'm sorry, wrong chapter. Uh, Verses 1 and 2 in chapter 3. Remind them, that would be believers, the church, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, right? To avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people, which is a call that we be benefactors in the public arena by submitting to the authorities, right? Back in Roman Greco times, society, along with the governments, government at that time, were highly suspect and paranoid about Christianity. Would, they were wondering, would it be a religious sect that would cause just another uprising and be another suck and drain on resources? Will they be monastic and, and not pay taxes and not contribute to society? To, to, or will they play their role in the public arena? Will they be a help or a hurt to the benevolent and good, I'm emphasizing, good goals of the government? And the Apostle Paul tells Titus, to teach, to instruct. Remember, Christianity is fairly new. And so me saying this may seem kind of obvious for some of you. And we've developed and grown in this as a church. And I think in some ways we've grown out of it. And so we keep being reminded of some very simple, a very simple truth here. That he, Paul is telling Titus to teach, to instruct the believers, the church, to be benefactors in the public arena by submitting to and obeying their rulers and authorities. To commit, to be governed by the rules and laws of our government and its rulers and authorities as much as possible to, I don't want to be tried here, but to be good law-abiding, tax-paying citizens. To not seek to establish our own Christian state or government, but to as much as in the, our power and ability to be under the rule of the rulers and authorities and government of the countries God has put us in. But there is a call to more here for believers. They are called to take their place in the public arena as submitted benefactors in the ways God has called the rulers and authorities and governments to be for the people that they lead. So the Bible gives us examples of what that looks like. And I picked Psalm 72, and it describes God using the rulers, the kings, the authorities, and the government and governing powers to do his good in the public arena. This is what it says, and this is a, um, a paraphrase here. This is what the government and rulers and authorities should be doing. To judge the people rightly by being uh, honorable to you're meek and lowly. To stand up for the poor. To help the children of the needy. To come down hard on cruel tyrants. To rescue the poor at the first sign of need. The destitute who have run out of luck. Open open a place in his heart for the down and out. To restore the wretched of the earth. Speaks to the prison system, Right? To free them from tyranny and torture, when they bleed, the rulers and authorities should bleed. When they die, he would die. May all godless people hear this one. May all godless people enter his, the ruler, a person, of authority, his circle of blessing. We like Romans thirteen, and it's a good one but we overlook these scriptures of a government like Psalm 72, right? That the God put governors, governing authorities in place to protect the rights of people, to make sure the, the poor, especially those without privilege, are not run over because that's what the tendency is, right? And so doing good works is about being uh, benefactors. When the scriptures talks about good works here in chapter one, I mean, verse one, good works is about being benefactors and philanthropists who give of their wealth and affluence and influence for the good of the city and nation. But honestly, this kind of benefactor, even back then, Roman Greco times, were like the rich and famous, right? They were and continue to be. Like our society, when you want to influence a government, if you want to influence a ruler a leader or a politician, what? You give your money, right? You give your influence. And and so those folk continue and were back then to be the most powerful ruling class, to be the lobbyists and corporations that are able with their worldly power to influence the rulers, to bring gifts and good to the city. is the language Paul is using here. When it talks about good works, it is talking about being a philanthropist. It is talking about being a lobbyist. It is talking about being someone who is wealthy and able to influence and work with the rulers and, and, and authorities for the good of people in the public places. And Titus is saying we should be in that arena as believers, that, that we should have that kind of concern as believers. We should be at the level of those kind of folk who feel like they really have a call and have power and ability to shape and influence communities and the world, right? Like, like um, it is our calling to be like those who are wealthy and rich, though, in the grace of the gospel and power of the Holy Spirit. To affect change and do good for the public, for the world in which you live. Do you see that? Look, look at verse 3 with me. If you don't see the richness and the wealth that God is calling you to be major influences in this world, look what it says here. For we ourselves were foolish and disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of the works done by us in righteousness, righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on us, here's the word, richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become, hear this word, ears, right? Right? People who've inherited something, people who have some money, right? Deep money, deep deep wealth, not money, deep wealth, right? And it says, heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's almost like Titus is saying, at one time, you were just a street brawler for your own rights. Kind of like a gang, right? Protecting your own turf, your own hood with limited resources, just kind of living, protecting you and yours, always living like someone is going to take and and able to take what you have or or what you are away. So you live hating any and everyone not like you. Always skeptical about the man. And the scripture is saying, now that you are in the royal family because of Christ Jesus, if you are in Christ, you are dealing in some heavy stuff now. You are now a stakeholder called by the gospel to influence and work with the rulers and authorities in the city and neighborhood and community for the public good. But with what wealth? What affluence? The Christians these in the, back in the first century would have been among the poorest people in the, in the whole nation. What the gospel inheritance makes us rich in. Service. <laughs> Sacrifice. Submission. Obedience. Gentleness kindness, which results in good works. You're rich in that. The gospel makes you rich in that. And I know, so I was writing this. I didn't like that. I don't want to be the gentle one. I don't want to be the one coming to the table with kindness. It don't work. Right? Being nice, all these issues going on, you know, things happening that aren't good for people, all the stuff we read about in Psalm 72 people hating each other, people not getting along, people being taken advantage of. And the scripture says, You come with submission, you come with service, you're rich in kindness, you're rich in gentleness, you're rich in grace, you're rich in mercy. You're a stakeholder then in changing this world with those things. And again, I know that this sounds rough, especially for those whose choice, politician, or party, or viewpoint, or whose history with the authorities is not good. It's hard. When you're on the bottom, when you feel like the government's on top of you, when you feel like the person in office is not for you, and then I say, you know what? If you're a believer, guess what your wealth is in changing things and influencing things, kindness and gentleness. You don't want to hear that. But this call. To be in the public arena as benefactors is not about agreeing with the morals and with politics or accepting the dark history of your your authorities. These Christians could have been and will eventually be under the tyrannical Nero of Rome, right? He used Christians as candles. So what is Paul doing to us? Should have been an uprising. You're not going to use me as a candle. I'm going to burn some things down first. As a matter of fact, Christians were blamed for burning the city. And they got they, that's when it started, it's throwing them to the lions. It's the Christians who did it. And what did Christians do? They didn't fight back. They just got thrown to the beast. It's opposite of even how this country started, right? They didn't say, we don't want taxation without representation. Just burn us. It's against everything in us. This is a call to influence and lobby the present administration with what God has called you to submit and be a public marketer, giver and grantor of God's mercy and grace in this world. Even if it costs your life in ways the rulers and authorities may not be giving and able to give. Jesus has made you believers rich in some of the world's most rarest right resources. Grace and love and peace and kindness and joy and hope. remind you what the Bible says in the book of Ephesians. It says our weapons and tools, and let me say wealth and riches and influence and effluence are not of or like the world. This is hard to hear. (laughs) They are irregular. Irregular. The Bible is saying. It's sometimes counterintuitive and weak feeling looking. So sometimes when it comes to public policy and politics and political discussion and race and ethnicity and talking about gender and sexuality and abortion and economic theory, it looks like we are bringing hugs to a knife fight or about to be taken advantage of and not taken seriously in the way we approach the world and its issues. Because we come to serve. We don't come for our own good. We don't come to be personally right, right? We don't, we don't come to pub, the public arena looking for, 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 for a medal or, or, or from some, some kind of kickback or some kind of trophy or some kind of statue. We come to say, what do I need to give? And it might, it might be some wisdom. It may be some truth that the world is missing. And that's fine. It may be a protest of some sort. That's fine as, in a lawless and in, 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 in benevolent way, benevolent to somebody else besides yourself. But what you are doing is you're saying, I'm coming to serve. coming to submit my life to this out there, not me. because we come to serve and do good and be kind and not get caught up putting the weight and hope and power and all of our energies tussling and fussing and criticizing and hating around politics and smearing candidates and political leaders, but in transforming our world for the good God has for the world. By what? Verse two tells us, right? To, to speak By not speaking evil of anyone, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and show perfect courtesy towards all people. I didn't write that. I like talking bad about politicians. I like getting in those conversations where, you heard what the president did today? Of course I do. I like feeling good. If that's not my candidate in office, of course I want to dog them with the best of us on Facebook. But the Bible is saying that is not where the power is in changing the world. Criticism never changed the world. Oh, it's so hard because our country is based on it, on your rights, your right to say what you want to say, and you have the right to say what you want to say. You have the right to point things out, but it has to be pointed for the good uh, and, and with kindness and with gentleness as you're thinking, how is this going to help, not how is this going to hurt? Let me say this. It is easy to hear this when your political choice is in the office. If I was preaching the same thing 10 years ago, somebody would be mad. Right? It switched. So if Obama was your choice and I was preaching this message, the Obama fans, yeah, that's right. We shouldn't say hateful things. We need to be gentle and kind. Right? And that was where a lot of y'all were right? Oh, I hate, why is the church being so hard? Didn't the the Bible say honor those in authority? And we go around and write that a bunch of times. And most of the messages, especially in, 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 in conservative circles, and I'm a conservative in many ways, right? But, and so I understand what's going on in the thinking in that way. What, writing what? We shouldn't quarrel, and we shouldn't fuss. and what, right? the, 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 Well, now that's what's going on, right? All the messages these days on people from the right, all the religious leaders are writing what? Y'all need to stop quarreling, honor those in authority, Right? You remember Clinton was in office? We need to get rid of him, impeach him, because the president needs to be moral. Remember the morality and character of the president was most important? But now what is it? Is The issues and and the justices who will be nominated are important. And now there's no discussion about the morals of the president and what he said about women and what's being... Like, that's not even important anymore. And not articles about we shouldn't be fussing and talking bad about the president, right? So let's be honest about something here, right? Every one of us has our turn to hear this message, and it'd be hard for us. Oh, wait till 2020, right? Everybody's going to be... Woo! It's gonna be crazy, and the RNC is here this year. How are y'all gonna act, right? It depends, right, on what side you're on, where your passions are. So let me say this: It's easier to hear what I'm talking about today when your person's office or you sit in a place of privilege in society with with the, what's going on politically, right? And I must say, God have mercy and grace on and give power to those of you who feel like they are suffering and oppressed and moral and economically suffocating under the present administration locally or federally, whether you feel it or it's true, God's got you in this gospel thing. If you look at verse three, it says, God not only saved those who were haters, but those who were hated or felt hated. If you feel hated, Left behind, you have the same power and wealth of richness, though harder to give right now. It means you got to be quiet and gentle in ways when the fire is burning hot. Christianity's not easy, right? If you want to be passionate, mad, angry, cuss about the president, put all kind of smear stuff, Christianity may like you need Christianity but trust me it may not be the best religion right you too those feeling on the bottom through Jesus are called to submit yourself and your issues in even lawful ways and being courteous and gentle and kind that's your power now, now, I'm not saying you don't exercise power to just say things and do other things, but do you say it with, with the way verse 2 says? Because you do it for not only in the public arena, but for the public good for people. Look at the modifiers in verse 1 and 2. It says, every good work. And then it says, speak evil of no one and then show perfect courtesy to who? All we are not about policy and politics and government primarily. Those things are important. I'm not trying to say those things aren't important. But they are just tools to be good to all people. Do you see that? Because the Lord didn't come to redeem moral issues and laws and issues. He came to redeem people and the rest follow. As much as I pray, that Roe versus Wade would be overturned, and replaced by a law more beneficial for the unborn child and the unplanned pregnancy, both mother and child. I've heard some data to suggest, and I'm sure y'all got three counterpoints, (laughs) just going on the point I got, that abortions were down under a pro-choice president. And a pro-choice, Congress. There are a number of factors associated with it. I get it. But in large part, I believe because believers are moving in their freedom and focus their hands and hearts and influence to the common good of the unborn children and not so much energy on pouting and pining and waiting and lobbying for the law to change and trusting their leaders to do it but using the freedoms under the rulers to what, as scripture says, to go do a good work at the point of contact with the mothers and children, and not only and just at the policy and political level. Let me say it this way. I personally, and as a believer, believe that the word of God, along with our leadership here at this church, teaches that life God recognized and ordained with the image of God, life begins in the womb. Let me say that again, just in case anyone doubts what I believe. Because I know I don't preach on it a lot. So this is going to be recorded. You can hear it a million times. Right? Part of me, I don't th- talk about it a whole lot because it's, it's so politicized. I want to be careful. You don't hear me touting politics, but the gospel. Amen. Right? So it's so politicized, I can't even say it. Right? Without people thinking, oh, no, he don't care about women. I didn't say that. I said that I believe scripture teaches that life, God recognized and ordained with the image of God, life begins in the womb. And if that is as a life, if that is a life, and it is, it deserves public consideration, concern, and lawful provision as a life in the womb. Right? But let me say this. Pro-life is not the same thing as pro a certain law. Because what concerns me, and it's my little take on it, I got a little bit of time, is if any new legislation, I'm concerned that some new legislation in overturning Roe versus Wade, which would be great, will inadvertently, connotatively, if you will, criminalize women of unplanned pregnancies. Criminalize them. Let me tell you what the problem with that is. If they become criminals, they become cases. And if they become cases... We don't readily see and accept them as people who need the grace and mercy of God in the same way you do. Indeed, this scripture about doing good works and showing courtesy for all people is not our call to be philanthropists of God's grace—to be more than pro-life, but as the Bible teaches, pro-people not just pro-issue or pro-party or pro-policy, unless it is pro-people first, because that's what Scripture calls us to. Let me ask you, how many of us actually know or are actively working with someone who has an unplanned pregnancy? Not talking about that welcomed, we got all the resources and ability. Surprise. I'm talking about pregnancies with all kind of sordid issues around them. Stuff we reject. Stuff we hope our children don't turn out like, right? Do you actually know a mother or father in the struggles of an unplanned pregnancy? Or do you just know the policy and the issue? Are you just theologically and morally and politically acquainted with the issue? I'm asking for pro-choice, I'm asking for pro-choice or pro-life folks, right? Not not, This of pro-life and pro-life folks, not that it is wrong to be on the right side of an issue, that's fine, but the gospel calls us to more, to be driven by the people in the issue, more than the issue with the people, We cannot just be pro-policy, but pro-people. And if pro-people, then of course pro the policy that is good for them, unborn and born. The gospel is an example of God so loving the world, as we saw in verse 3-7, through that he set forth the policy and plan of salvation. Why? Why did he go with the policy of salvation? Because he looked upon us people with mercy and love and then took on the issues that were hurting and killing us. That's why you saved. If God was just controlled about, concerned about issues, he'd just do without us and start over. He could have an issue-free world without you. People filled with issues. And Titus is calling us to care about the issues and the politics and the policy only as it accomplished our call to provide public spiritual health and common good to the people, which brings us to this. We must be benefactors for the public good, not just for people, but for people. Here's a crazy one, all people. Oh, man. I can't emphasize how revolutionary Christianity is claiming and calling us to be. Look at what the Apostle Paul says here in verse 2 and 3 again. It says, to to speak evil of no one. Uh Uh-oh. There's got to be somebody in some religion... Somewhere living some kind of lifestyle that we should be speaking evil of. Did y'all hear about this dude in Alabama talking about the the, the LGBTQ community? You disgust me, he says. You are disgusting. I want you to go away. I wish y'all would all die or something like that. Right? Huh? He's a pastor, right? Of the same gospel? What? I didn't mean to get into that one. I tried not to use that illustration. But look at verse 2 and 3. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarrelsome, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward... Who? All people. Why? For we ourselves, right? (laughs) Were once foolish and disobedient and led astray, slaves to what kind of passions? Various, all kind of stuff, y'all. There was so many he didn't even put a list or so it'd be another Bible, right? And pleasures and passing our days and what kind of stuff? Malice and envy, hated by others and hating on one another. And then look at verse eight. It says here, the saying is trustworthy. and He's talking about the gospel. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God, that's Christians. They be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Wow. No, he meant good people. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> he meant only Christians. He didn't say that. He said only, you know, people who obey the word. He didn't say that either. Now, we can't go outside the call that God's given us to do so. But all people. I know that this doesn't come off this way, and we need a gospel revival and renewal among believers. I, I believe that. But Christianity, believers, is how we li- and how we live should be. Let me be careful with this word, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Universally beneficial for all people. That we are not a sectarianly beneficial faith. That what we believe about Christ, right? <laughs> It has a benefit for the world, not just for those who believe in Christ in the way we do. We are not a politically and economically split off and divided institution in this world. That we are not only kind and beneficial if the right leader is in office or the right laws are in place or the right politic or social theory or the right people in power. We are called as people in our various countries and spheres of influence to be benefactors of God's grace to influence for the good of whoever we live with in this world. believing what we believe to be true in verses four through seven. That God saved us by grace while we were his enemies. The scripture's saying we should in our public lives be and do as widely and broadly beneficial as God was in saving you and saving the world with your various passions. And man, again, how many of them live in our own hearts sitting right here? you way outside God's plan. If God was a God who just didn't love broken people, you wouldn't be what he was looking for. That the God of the Bible did not require us to first be a certain people group or ethnicity or socioeconomic or vote for his party, which would have been the benevolent, conquering theocracy under Jesus, right? No, he didn't make us have to vote for that. He let us wear our red and our blue. Even a small-minded, two-partied, impassioned Democrats and Republicans, and a few of you independents, a limited and probably frustrating version of government to him, but he still saved us, and he still keeps us. Regardless of where we are in the gender or sexuality spectrum, he still was God and God to us. Regardless of you name it, he extended his mercy to us. And I would argue even before we became believers, he was merciful to us. If you're sitting here and not sitting in a burning hell, God's merciful to you. We didn't give it to you because we didn't give you your life. God gave it to you. All the people living right now have been extended the hand of God's mercy. There isn't one person walking the earth that isn't breathing the air because of God's mercy. Why would we give anything less? When you look back over your life, you can say, God was good when I was hating Him. When I was hating him and myself and others, one song says, as good as God has been to me, I can't afford not to praise his name. Maybe we should say, as good as God has been to me, I can't afford to be good and loving and merciful and just and kind and caring to as many people as I possibly can. And the point here is this. If you're a believer, you should do the same. That you should be as unhindered and unlimited and look for new people groups. And new ways to bring what is, the scripture says in verse 8, what is excellent and profitable for them. We should be working for the good of those suffering. Though we think deep down, they should be working harder. You know what the problem is with all them people in welfare? They ain't working hard enough, they just want a handout. Wow, what a perfect opportunity to be kind, merciful, and leaving behind your own personal thought. Because you were lazy in your works before God. Think of God, this is what it's saying, it's connected to the gospel. Which one of you was worked hard enough for God to love him? If you raise your hand, you're theologically off. It just said, not because of righteous works, he saved us. So we go around thinking and we kind of have a smug attitude, you know, and I've heard this. We went to help these poor people and they had a flat screen TV. That's the kind of thinking that's bad, right? Get over yourself. How many flat screen TVs you got? And God's like, you don't need that. Some of y'all got four or five. God's going through your house saying, this is a shame. Each one of those TVs a $1,000 and you got to have the high speed internet, I'm with y'all. Listen, <laughs> think if God wouldn't judge your checkbook and, and your stuff you got and the clothes you're wearing, right? Remember the pastor sneaker thing? I'm not into that, can't afford to be into that. Not until y'all start bringing more people, then we can be a mega church and I can get the big sneakers. <laughs> We should be caring for those who are in places of privilege, even in dominance. Oh, that's a hard one. I should care for those folk, the ones that look like they don't need anything, that seem oppressive. They look like my oppressor. Yes. The Bible says he loved those who were the haters. He loved those who had malice and envy against others. So we should love those we see as our privileged enemies with mercy and connection. That is verse nine talks about. Those who have genealogies, right? That, have a, that show a broken history between different people groups and, it, and as it was between God and man. We would not just stop, would not stop us from working for their good. That Christianity is a populace, universally beneficial religion. I didn't say it wasn't offensive to people. I said we are called that it would be beneficial as much as in our power for people. That everyone, I'm hoping, that that should be our hope, right? The Bible talks about hope. That everyone would feel a little bit of heaven. I know it sounds all trite. Maybe there's a little song like that. That everyone should feel a little bit of heaven when believers are at work. Ultimately, even if they ultimately possibly are not headed headed there, right? Let me say and remind us, I haven't even gotten to the meat yet, y'all. Let me say and remind us, as Paul tells Titus to do here what the gospel did through Christ and what that means for us. God decided out of his own love and wealth to save us. He gave up his glory in Christ to take on our struggles. You know what we often spend our times doing as believers And our freedom's doing, quarreling, dissensions and divisions. We're busy trying to save and secure our viewpoint and our opinions. And as verse 3. We are so enslaved to our personal worldly passions about things that we are like slaves, not free to take on and promote and fight and sacrifice ourselves for the good of someone else. We've had a real struggle over race and politics in this church. Y'all come to church, y'all hear me say something, y'all hear somebody else say something in a little circle, right? Some people have even left over the years and have decided that we are too leaning this way or that way. And I'm guessing more of us going to leave. As in other churches, we ain't rare. Without laying blame, because God calls people to different communities, right? That's good. We see that in Scripture. But it could also be how, because we felt mistreated or not seen or heard, or especially in church like ours, that we couldn't get along with others different in passions and position than we were. Often at the bottom is that we have become so enslaved with our viewpoint, so guarded, so insecure, so attacking someone else based on your political or ethnic viewpoint that we have not been able to actually release our personal passions for the good of someone else and take on their passions passions that may keep them separated from the goodness of the Lord from the all-people benefits that God has for them. Know what it means? We can't drop our slave or master oppressive mindsets in exchange for the wealth of the gospel and what it says about us and God's love for us and others. All right? Y'all ready to get more specific here? This one, I always get in trouble. Among many of the controversial discussions just in this congregation has been worship service set up, the length, the style, the music and feel, white fragility, Discussions. The women of truce table coming. Discussions around women's roles and segregation and ethnic gatherings that go along in this church and, and, and closed groups. Some of y'all fight about schools and Christian schools and economic theory and critical race theory articles and arguments. I'm talking about Marxist Christians, about intersectionality and reparations. Social justice and sexuality and politics. And the view of police and violence and guns and social media use and what sh- shows we should and shouldn't should be watching on TV and how we are to talk about and act towards our current president and how we should stop dealing so much in all these issues and I've heard it and just get back to the pure gospel, Pastor Brown.
0: <laughs> and on
1: and on. Those are just a few. But the issues are not even the issue. Look one more time at the heart not changed by the gospel. Look at verse 3 again. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions, pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. The problem is, We can hate, despise, have malice and envy for, and set up walls of protection against and between others because we are so passionate about holding on to something in such a way that we can't think. What can I learn from them for the good of them in this world? What can I repent of and work on for them? Does someone else feel hurt or attacked in this way? Want the pure gospel? Okay, ready? Titus is saying that we as believers have experienced and affirmed being loved and accepted and enriched altruistically by God. a God, mind you, that we were all kinds of enemies with politically and socially and morally, and that Jesus saved us through a substitutionary atonement. You know what that means, don't you? For those who want the pure gospel, you know what that means? It means he saved us. By taking on our causes in the history of our sin, past, present, and future, that were not his doing. They were not his sin, things that he was alien to, right? He took on our broken experiences that were not his and even offensive to him to save us. Which means what? Like Titus is getting. That we should read things and learn things about ourselves and others. Not defensively, but on offense in seeking their good and the good of our city and community and church and all the people around us. To maybe see where's ways we are not right or hateful or ignorant, living living wanting to know, wanting to be, we should live wanting to know, wanting to be challenged because we believe repentance and letting Jesus own the sin we acknowledge we have is powerful, right? Isn't that the gospel? We should want to repent. We should find comfort and power in repentance. This is who I am. This is how I offend you, my brother. This is the wall I've built up. This is the passion that's causing you not to see Jesus. Jesus, forgive me. But the problem is we don't really believe the gospel. We are afraid of being wrong. And everything in the gospel says, you were already wrong when you came in. Jesus alone makes you right. Not you being right, but Jesus makes you righteous. And so we're all walking around, I'm included, trying to be righteous in some passion, in some policy, in some politic, in some law or legal thing, so much so that we're willing to no longer live, believe in the gospel, and make it hard for others who are opposed to us to know the love of God. Do you believe repentance is powerful to bring down walls and free us to love God and each other like never before? To not quarrel or have dissension, but conversation and gospel confrontation. This is about the call of the gospel to not be a hateful, sectarian, argumentative, wall-building institution of people, but to be an out there with them about their mission. And whether it's from my white African-American or Asian-American Hispanic-American friends, members, and fellow pastors, I've heard it said. Ready for this one? And I may adjust the wording so it doesn't sound like I'm cussing. When it comes to getting along with people... Especially in a multi-ethnic church. I give up when I hear about their struggles, or how I'm privileged and all of this, or or how I'm got the slave mentality, or how I'm this, or how I'm that. It is useless to try to learn how to be good to more people and all people because I'm condemned if I do. And condemned if I don't. Have you ever heard that said? Have you said that yourself? When I read this, dang, I can't do nothing right. Forget it. These folk want reparations? Forget it, punt. I'm going to a different church. Where all around me there'd be nobody looking for reparations. Right? Uh, you know. And this is not just you or people like you who have said or feel that as believers in this world, in this community. Everyone! has felt this in one way or another, whether like an evil prof- per- oppressor or Uncle Tom, a radical crazy person, or guilty of being apathetic. We all take our, take our turns the way, depending on the situation. I'm condemned if I do. i condemned if I don't. So I give up trying to get along with people different than me. Give me that book, Punt. Give me that article, punt. I'm tired of hearing about black people complaining. You got the same rights as I do, right? My family came over as immigrants. They worked hard. You work hard. We say that kind of stuff because we punt, right? It ain't just a white privilege thing. You know, I grew up being taught inadvertently and even directly from the generation before me or two before me, not my parents as much, but my grandparents, you can't trust white people. They will be your friends to a point, and then they'll tell you to get off the train, nigga. That's what I was taught. That's in my mind. Right? Those words are in my mind. So I'm in this congregation, and that's what I feel. I feel like I'm condemned if I do as your pastor and condemned if I don't. And that ain't even a mention. The other African-American pastors and African-American churches that look at me like you a Tom, right? And on the other side, what? You too radical. Man, punt, man, This scripture is calling us and freeing us, those who believe and been transformed by the gospel, to not think I'm damned if I do or or don't. But hear this. They are damned if I do, if I don't. If I don't learn where I need to repent, they are going to suffer. The world is going to suffer. Didn't you know your Lord was damned if he did and damned if he didn't? If he said to Caesar, you ain't going to do this to me, angels come down, boom, blow the whole thing up, we'd be done. And if he did it the way he did it, he was a sellout Jew, not a zealot enough. He thought, you and me are damned if I don't. stop thinking about yourself the gospel should help uh, that the the ministry of the gospel of hearts allows us right like you should as those who believe in Jesus like you should be able to take the risk of being the one who's at fault why is that so bad when god is so good to you Why couldn't it be that history screwed up? Why? You're wealthy in Christ. But the truth is, we don't really think we're wealthy in Christ. We want to be wealthy in our personal righteousness. And I ain't talking to y'all. I'm talking to me. I'm tired of hearing some stuff too. This is hard, I know. But that is the kind of heart and community and scrutiny that Paul is calling for here. Told you this might be the hardest one. I don't want to be hearing people saying that. Uh, not because I'm being a tyrant. Let me be careful here because sometimes I can come off kind of authoritative and mean because I'm in this position and it's kind of prophetic. When I, said, when I say, I don't want to hear people say I'm condemned if I do or damned if I don't is because if you're a believer, it just isn't true you're a believer, you're, you're, you're kind of losing grip on the gospel. I'm going to skip some stuff. Paul talks about, in his final verses here, he says, But a full, void foolish controversy, genealogy, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self condemned. You know what Paul's saying? He's not saying we shouldn't have confrontation. He's not saying that he shouldn't deal with, with, with misthought in the church or issues. We, it, it, the rest of Titus would not say that. He's supposed to confront people who are saying and believing the wrong things. What is he saying? He's saying we need to expel from our church any kind of non-gospel thinking that would stop us from... Loving and caring and giving up our own passions for that of someone else's. Those controversies and fights that they're talking about here, they're bad theology. That's what he's saying. Don't mess with that bad theology that would teach people that, that they shouldn't look at their own sin. Right? I don't I want to punt, the word punt, right? That's bad theology. So scripture says we come together and then we own our sin. Let me tell you what's hard. I'm gonna finish here. It says you're self-condemned when your passions become so much that the gospel begins to go dark. When you begin to build walls because you're afraid of repenting and owning your sin and afraid of confronting and hope that that person would own their sin or that you would see yourself or that you wouldn't do and give up what you need to give up for the sake of the other person, for the sake of the world, for the sake of the mission to reach others, you begin to, like like this scripture is saying about the the controversies in Jesus, you begin to form a theology around your passion that isn't the gospel, right? To protect yourself, to protect against what people are saying, to protect against that bad stuff you hear about this thing or this social thing or that thing. And we begin to throw around terms and, you know, oh, to believe like this, you're, you're, you're a socialist or a Marxist or you're a, you're, you're a fascist or you're a this or you're a that or you're if you're conservative, that means you're a jerk and all kind of craziness. Bad theology. You're not a Christian if you voted for this person. Bad theology. You're not a Christian if you don't vote for this or you vote bad theology. Now, here's the problem with bad theology. It says you're self-condemned. You know who you cut off from the gospel when you cut other people off? Yourself. 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 I'm not concerned about some group of people that you need to get with and be with and you're messing our thing up. No, the church is going to continue. I'm not talking about the local church. The church of Jesus Christ is going to continue. Paul's concern ends up being the person who is the Christian bigot in whatever way. Because they built a wall not against others only, but against Christ. Your rules will become so strict Your idea of who you should be good to and trust would be so small that eventually you won't even be righteous enough for Christ. Seen it a million times. Next thing you know, I don't believe this God thing. Self condemned. So we see real discipline. If this person acted up in church and causing problems, the elders can say, you're done. Please don't be here. You're causing too much trouble. We need to shut you down. But they're already shut off from Christ, warped spiritually. Here's the good news. Every single one of us in here is warped. Every single one of us have our passions that have cut us off from the gospel. I hear that voice of my grandma. Those white people, they're not your friends. And they'll never be your friends. That's what she told me. You can work with them, but don't befriend them. Don't trust white women in my mind. Don't trust the tears, right? All that stuff you see in the White Fragility book, like, for those who've read it, like that's in my mind, y'all. I'm only talking about myself because I'm letting you know my struggles. These are bad walls in theology I have that I'm struggling through, that I have to had to work through to be the pastor of the church to be in community even if I weren't a pastor, just to be a member. Here's the good news. Did you see what he said about the gospel though? It doesn't matter how shut off you've gotten from the gospel the power and love of God will still come after you. That's my whole. I can't break the stuff in here and the things here and stuff I see on TV and the news shows and what I hear and what's going on and the articles that make me angry. Boy, I'd be mad. This pastor said this and the pastor said this and blah, blah, blah. And Pastor Brown, here's the email. Ah! Jesus rescues us. That's the hope of a congregation like ours especially. Not that you ever go outside the lines or build a wall of protection or that you can be perfectly repentant and okay with people saying these things about you and get along with all people. We live in this hope and move forward in this hope regardless of what we feel here. God's not gonna give up saving us. He loves the hater and the hated. Wow. And if you're in that place, oh man, that gospel's something else, ain't it? Yes, it Even if it says, you know, you're wrong in thinking this way, it's powerful to save you if you find yourself there. Mm. What's good for the public becomes good for our hearts too. Let's let's pray. Lord, thank you. Help us to not find more ways to cut ourselves off from the gospel. Help what we believe is true, what we believe saved us, to go public, to go in the way we love each other and love this world. Help us to be more than what we've read. Help us not to be resigned in some of the stuff we see about ourselves. Help us to overcome those things, to supernaturally get over the boundaries and barriers and ways of thinking that divide us. Help me in that. Help us in that. You loved us while we were haters. You loved us while we were separated from your love when we didn't believe in you. You loved us. Help us to take that love and that grace public. That others can believe the gospel. And believe it again and again and again. This we ask and pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.